Welcome to Soul Path Parenting, the podcast that explores how we set our kids up to live their best lives from the start, and how we stay conscious, inspired, and sane while we do it. I'm your host, Amy Breeze Cooper. Jesus was one of the greatest metaphysicians ever, because he could tap into these unseen energies and these unseen abilities and, and things that, um, and these powers from of God that he told us, we can do this. And I would still say, I am, I am a Christian. I believe in him. I believe in his teachings. I believe he brought so much into this world for us. And he brought for us the model of us being God in human form. And he brought for us the abilities to learn how to save ourselves, how to take how to take these teachings and this love and actually pull it into us and make ourselves a greater person. Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode eight. Thank you so much for joining us today. And given that it is Christmas week, today we're going to be talking about Jesus. Now, I have to tell you guys, I had to record this interview twice because the first time I recorded it, it did not the audio just did not come out. And I actually think it may have been a sign from above because this is a topic that makes me a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit nervous about maybe offending people. And I just had to, um, I just had to get over myself because the conversation that we're creating here on this podcast is really about learning and embracing all points of view about spirituality uh, so that we can create something more for our children. So I'm going to share with you uh, a little bit of context, and then we're going to get into this episode. The voice you were hearing was that of Trina Cooper. Trina is a master of metaphysics. She's co-founder of Journeys for Conscious Living. Uh, she's also a Christian, which is something I learned in the process of doing the interview. And she's my mother-in-law. One of the fundamental questions that comes to me at this time of year is, how do I infuse spirituality into the Christian holidays without being religious? And I'll be just totally transparent with you guys. I was raised in a culturally Christian family, but completely devoid of of religion. There was, I have a, a, a vivid memory because my parents weren't keen on the idea of taking us to church, but they had been raised going to church themselves and believed in a lot of the values and the teachings of the church. And so they got a children's Bible and they sat us down on a Sunday morning because the idea was that we would do Bible study at home. And I don't know if we were more than one or two paragraphs into the very first story, but you may recall the story of Adam and Eve, and uh, Eve doesn't come out looking too great in that story. And so my mom just shut the book 
uh, in the spirit, I think, of of not sharing uh, misogynistic points of view with her two daughters and sent us outside to play. And that was the last time we read, first and last time we ever read children's Bible stories. So I I was raised in this family that just, I don't have a ton of foundation for uh, the Christian faith, and yet I'm fascinated by the idea of Jesus as a spiritual teacher. And I love the the idea, even my, you know, my friends who are mediums talk about Jesus helping them uh, to connect. Uh, he's he's really an ascended master that they interact with. And so I have so many questions and Really, this podcast is intended to explore how we can bring spirituality and an understanding of who Jesus was from a spiritual standpoint into the conversation at Christmas. And so uh, without further ado, I uh, will 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 just jump into the interview and um, as you'll hear us kind of mention, this was the the redo interview because, uh, like I said, I don't think I was being totally transparent and upfront about um, where I stand on on this. And I just want you to know that wherever you are in your conversation about Jesus and in your beliefs, I really hope you feel welcome into this conversation. This is intended to be a conversation and a podcast that includes people who are Christian by faith, are practicing Christians, all the way to people who are of different faiths or kind of like in between and in this questioning place like me. So um, welcome. I hope that you get as much out of this conversation as I did. And here we go. Welcome, Trina, to the show. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's really exciting to be able to do this with you. And thank you for doing it twice. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully it turns out as good as the last one or even better. Exactly. Um, I wanted to start our conversation really just sharing with our listeners who you are and your current work in the world of spirituality as context for the bigger conversation that we're having. Okay. I can start out there. Um, yeah, this has been such a journey for me over time. And hmm, let's see, currently, right now, I do, uh, we have a center called Journeys for Conscious Living, where we bring in speakers and we hold classes, anything from personal development to spirituality to really way out woo-woo. Um, it's open. It's like what people need. Um, what they're searching for. And so we're, we welcome in this diverse group of people that come in. We've also done Evolve Expo, which basically is kind of thinking outside the box. So it deals with uh, alternative energy, sustainability, um, spirituality, healthy food, uh, different things like that, but definitely looking at things that you don't find in the mainstream media all the time, but are definitely out there for people. We also have several other different meeting companies. We put on events and conventions and things like that. So there's sort of a two side in the way I always describe my life for the longest time was that I was, um, I had my Clark Kent life, which was the regular business working that kind of thing. And then I had my Superman life, which was the spirituality, the exploration, 
um, going deep into a lot of the studies, like Native American. I have an elder that I work with, Grandmother Parisha, and uh, have done vision quests and sun dances and things with her. But um, that was my that was my Superman life on that side. And mm-hmm. then one day I had this kind of epiphany that wait a minute, it's all me. And you know, in Superman, it's all it's all Superman. It's just he disguises himself. And I started looking at myself that way. That do I really want to hide behind um, something that I'm not necessarily anymore? I'm a regular mainstream in the box thinker, or can I bring what I've learned, you know, to more mainstream people as well? And mainstream, the way I describe that really is kind of what most people know, the ones that seem to get more afraid when you dip your toe into energetic healing, or you dip your toe into meditation, or, you know, going deeper within yourself. And it's mainly they haven't been exposed to it. Mm -hmm. So there's a fear about it. And we don't hear about it in mainstream news. Um, Some things are starting to break into it. But, uh, you know, like things like yoga, meditation are starting to come out, especially the idea and concept of mindfulness. And so those things are becoming much more um, broader. But I think there's this whole underlying story that just hasn't been taught, hasn't been talked about. What is it? Um, a lot of it is that linking, I think, of spirituality to the physicality. It's a, um, it was separated so many years ago, and I, and probably a lot by the church during the Renaissance times or before then, where the church kind of said, we'll handle the spirituality piece of it, and you guys take care of the science. And they never really pulled it back together, and that vision just you know, it grew bigger and bigger. The the whole fissure that was there just grew bigger and bigger. And now I think we're kind kind of coming back um, because when you look at indi- the way the indigenous people teach or some of the ancient teachings, the combination of being spiritual and physical, mm-hmm. everything was was kind of mixed together, and then it was split so much to mm-hmm. the point where people that brought things forward were even killed or um, tortured because of what they were bringing forward. Like what? Um, I believe it was Galileo that there's his finger is in a, in a museum in Italy in Florence for which was, they cut it off because he was speaking things that were not approved. And this was the warning to him and to other people that, they needed to back off some of the things they were bringing right. forward. It's a it's a great segue into this conversation because you're talking about this division between spirituality and physicality. And in a certain way, what I wanted to explore with you is this, maybe it's a division, maybe it's not, but this idea of spirituality and religion or new spirituality and the tenets of a traditional faith like Christianity in which you were brought up being sort of distinct things. And what I'd love to talk with you about is how you've made sense of that all together. I think the time now is really bringing that to the forefront from a lot of different a lot of different ways. For me in my path, 
Um, I was brought up in a, in a very devout Catholic family, and I was always connected to God, always. I, I remember a time being about five years old where I cried leaving church because I didn't want to be where God wasn't. And all I knew at that time was God was in church. I didn't know God was in nature. You know, it, that just wasn't the way you looked at it. And um, going through parochial schools and studying it and having it be so much of my life for so many years, I really, really thought I was going to be a nun at one point in time. And then I met um, a young man in school who was Jewish and ended up falling in love with him. But my questions had started before that point, mm -hmm. but that actually raised a lot because knowing that the Jewish faith and in eighth grade, my favorite class, we always had religion classes as part of our part of our teaching. Eighth grade, what they did was they we learned about world religions, and I was just so taken by it, so excited by it, that all these other ideas, and there was this common thread of truth in all of them, but I couldn't understand at that point in time why there was this split, why you, you couldn't, um, people from different faiths couldn't marry, mm -hmm. when the Bible itself said... Um, we were all created after God in his image and likeness or its image and likeness. Um, I know everything was very patriarchal, so his was the way that we, we spoke it. But now is it is it a his or is it a he, she? Um, mm -hmm. Because, you know, there's definitely feminine on this planet. <laughs> mm -hmm. But that started some of my questions. And... I kept having more questions and they weren't being answered. They were always in, you know, have faith. This is what you're taught. Believe in this. And I just was not one of those children that wanted to take everything for face value. I always wanted to get to the deeper pieces of everything and the understandings of everything. And so that little surface, you know, have faith, just believe, uh, that was a struggle for me. Right. To be in that place. So looking at those and then having more questions and eventually marrying this young man that has now been my husband coming up on 44 years. But at the time when we married, um, you didn't marry outside of the church. And I mean outside the church building. You couldn't, a priest wouldn't do a service outside a church building, let alone marry some marry you to someone from another faith that wasn't converting. And we got the same question from both sets of parents. And, you know, well, are you going to convert? Well, are you going to convert? And then the question was, well, what about the children? Mm -hmm. You know, it started getting deeper like that. And we both, to me, the Old Testament, which was the Jewish books, basically was part of what I grew up with. So I was like, well, what's the big deal? You know, he believes in, in this and he believes that Jesus existed but he just doesn't believe in all of everything that was being taught in spirituality in Christianity, and probably because he wasn't exposed at that time. For me, I was exposed to the Jewish teachings. It didn't. I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand what the big deal was, and. Of course, we couldn't find a rabbi that would marry us. <laughs> Who married you? A justice, you know, a judge yeah, in yeah. in a judge's chambers. 
with the intent at the time to find somebody that would do it later on, but still hitting brick walls because mm. at that time it wasn't it wasn't acceptable. And so at that time you actually wanted to have a uh, a religious service yeah. or a spiritual leader marry you. And we would have loved to have a combination, which they do now. Yeah. But they didn't then. Um and so, you know, the world changes and evolves all the time yeah. and 40 years ago it just wasn't the thing to do. Now it's opened up and it's been much more accepting. But I think a lot of my questions though being brought up Catholic when I was 11 or 12 years old, they had the Second Vatican Council. And to me, at that age, they changed all the rules. Before that, the Mass was always said in Latin. Mm, this is when they went into... And all of a sudden, it's said in English. Yep. The priest always had his back to you. All of a sudden, he's facing you. The pri the um, You weren't allowed to like clap and things in in church all of a sudden they went to guitar masses where you were clapping and things um the women always had to wear veils had to have something on their heads all of a sudden that was okay not to do it and i'd been brought up for years and years that you know if you don't do this this is a sin if you don't do this this is a sin and all of a sudden they changed all the rules and for me it was very very confusing because why could these guys get together and change all the rules and it was okay and what was a sin before isn't anymore? Mm -hmm. so, so it starts to show you that the rules are actually made by man and create I, more questions about and what really is spiritual. And of course, we were told that these were insights from God, you know, that the Pope represented <laughs> yeah. God and everything. But it was, for me, it was like, well, if it's, that simple for them to get together and do that. And then experiencing these different religions as well, especially knowing that the split in, in the Catholic Church, a lot of it occurred when Martin Luther had his issues and started the Lutheran Church. And then other groups would have issues and they'd start. And I actually had a conversation one night with someone that's, that had studied especially Christianity, the development of it. And he said, you know, the patterns that we see are that the groups come together. Um, they don't like something, so they go start their own. Then the real intellectualized people start putting all the rules around it. And then there's another break because other people don't feel like it fits for them, so they start something else. And I said to him, you know, it's kind of like that telephone tree where, mm -hmm. you know, the stories are told and it moves and it moves and and um, and it changes. And when you think about it, the stories of Jesus, 2,000 years old, how many times have they been changed over the course of history? Right. And now, with the finding of the um, Dead Sea Scrolls and the scrolls at Nag Hammadi, which were more New Testament, the Dead Sea was more the Old Testament, and they're finding all of these writings uh, that have been kept in other places as people went out in the world, and they were kept by the priests there, whatever, and they're starting to surface these old scripts and Slavonic languages and other things, and as they interpret them, new stories are coming forth that we just didn't, we weren't subjected to. Right. And there's a huge 
rich, really rich amount of information that's out there now that puts a whole new light on it. At least in my opinion, it puts a totally new light on so many of the teachings of Jesus and what went on. Let's talk about that because this is where I just get so excited and intrigued about knowing who Jesus, the spiritual teacher was, Mm -hmm. versus like you said, the couple thousand years of religion and the word of man put on top of it. And so what would you say, because you've done a lot of learning, kind of going back to the beginning and learning really what those teachings were. Um, I know it would be hard to put all of that into (laughs) a soundbite, but what are some of the most meaningful uh, things that you learned as you sort of went back to those lost books or the early teachings? Well, some of the people have actually taken what they found in Aramaic, especially the Gospel of Thomas, which was very interesting, but they've been able to just translate from Aramaic into English. And there's a whole new perspective on what was said. Oh, right. Just even the interpretation of what was said. Because the old interpretations went from like Aramaic into maybe Greek, because um, the one who really, really interpreted a lot and spread a lot was Paul. And Paul was a very learned person. He spoke many languages. And, you know, he had a, a divine revelation, basically. I think it was he got almost like hit by lightning, knocked off his horse, and then had that come to Jesus moment, I guess, as some people <laughs> talk about. But really, because he was one that was actually prosecuting or, you know, going persecuting all these um, basically Jews that were following Jesus at the time. I don't think they really had the name Christians per se, or it was being developed at that point. But he took the words of Jesus and spread them out in so many places. Then you had every every um, apostle that was there who had their own interpretations of what was going on, and they took their teachings out. So the stories began to change a little bit. The old scriptures, the old texts and books that they're finding now, there were different sects, like you've heard about the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. So there were different groups of the Jewish religion also. And some of them focused more on um, like the law and other ones were more like the teachers. And so you had, and the writers, so the scribes and the Pharisees and different people like that, you hear about those spoken about in the Bible. And they all had their own peace and everyone focused on their own. Well, there was a group called the Essenes. The Essenes were much more involved in more of the mystical teachings that had been taught. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who believe that John the Baptist, who was actually like Jesus' cousin, because Elizabeth Elizabeth was was Mary's cousin, um, and John the Baptist actually ended up in the sect of the Essenes. And he was one that started preaching about the Savior coming, but their teachings were much more mystical. They were much more being inside and not sort of just the words, but trying to get to the truth. Mm -hmm. And so their teaching, there are some that say, and we know that 
in the in the books that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, that he went and found him and, and was baptized by him. But they believe that he spent time with them as well. There's also books that have said he traveled all over the place from those lost years from 12 years old to 30 when that he really... That Jesus traveled. That Jesus traveled, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those years between 12 and 30, which really aren't covered in the canonized Bible at this point in time, um, that he actually went to India and he went to the Far East and he went to Egypt and he spent places in a lot of these, and spent time in all these different places. And so when he came back, he had a richness as well of all the cultures and the different peoples on earth. Mm-hmm. So the stories, there's so many of them. And you really need to kind of take a look at them, especially some, there's a book called The Lost Books of the Bible. There's a book, there's books called Infancy. There's the Gospel of Mary. There's a lot of writings that have been found and and put together in these books. Because what ended up happening was there was a time around, what, 350, 400 in the common era where all these groups were brought together, and that's when the now-used Bible was, they basically said, we're going to put this book in, and we're not going to use this one, and we're going to put this one in, and we're not going to use this one. So you ended up with the four Gospels, and you ended up with all the the writings of the different people, mm-hmm. and they included the Jewish teachings, which were most appropriate because Jesus was Jewish, and this was a huge foundation. You have to think of it as the foundation of Christianity because that's what he sprang out of. Mm-hmm. So we need to incorporate more of that right? to understand. This is maybe a really, this is a 101 kind of question, and I have to admit, my religious education is basically zero. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking about characters from the Bible that, of course, I've heard of, like John the Baptist and Paul. Um, but I really don't know what they wrote or said or did. Um, Jesus being a Jew, the Jews anticipated there would be a Messiah. Mm-hmm. So he would have known of that prediction. Did he think he was the Messiah? There are times when he said, that's who you say I am. Oh, okay. There's also times, like in the books of infancy, they talk about him actually speaking, like right after his birth, actually telling his mother that he was the son of God. There's stories in these books of people who came to be healed where um, they would touch the clothes he was wrapped in as a baby or the water that he was washed in as a baby and it would heal them. So there were also stories in these of him um, getting angry and uh, like someone, he would say, you're not going to say anything else and they would fall down dead and then he would bring them back. Because you have to keep in mind, this is a child that was extremely gifted, but he was also like God coming into the human form. So there were all the emotions and all of that. And um, and when you get into reading some of these, it's just like, oh my gosh, Mary must have been, you know, it must have been amazing. But Jesus himself 
he made reference to God being his father. And he made reference to um, being the son of man. But he also made reference to being the son of God, which means if you interpret there's a divinity, but there's always there's the connection also to the earth. Mm-hmm. And so he was always bringing out those points. And I read someone who had written, which I just absolutely loved. He said the the problem with some of Christianity, and I'm taking it from his words at this point, is that we put him on a pedestal instead of walking in his footprints. Right. Because my, one of my favorite quotes that he made, and it may not be you know exactly word for word, but it was basically, all these things I do, you can do and more. So he was telling us, when he did miracles, we were capable of miracles. When he walked on the water, we could literally walk on the water. When he could touch someone and heal them, we can touch someone and heal them. And so some of the things are taken very literal. Mm-hmm. And um, some of them are taken um, in different context. And that's the one thing. It's like, if Jesus said, these things you will do and more, to me, it was like, watch what I'm doing. I'm the model. Right. I'm the model. Learn from me. Why do you think he was here? I think a couple reasons. One, he definitely brought in love. Um, a lot of the Jewish tradition was based on law and um, rules and different things. And um, and some of them were, were quite harsh and severe. Mm-hmm. Even though there's a beauty in that tradition that was just absolutely fabulous. But he spoke so much of love and about caring for each other and accepting each other and taking people in. And he even, you know, people questioned him, like, what are you doing with this sort of person or that sort of person? And he was like, no, it's not the sort of person. It's like we love everyone. Right. So that story of love was really important. Um, I think he also came in to show us the way. And I believe that um, a lot of what he did was model right, to teach us and to bring us back to that respect of God as being this loving creator. Right. Um, in the way some people would say, you know, he came and he died for our sins. I learned in the classes, and I did classes for many years And um, I actually went to a level of master of metaphysics. And a lot of that teaching, we did what was called metaphysical Bible interpretation, almost using like dream interpretation to the words, but also looking at a deeper meaning or a deeper understanding in a a lot of the religions that were there. It was amazing to spend time looking at his teachings at a deeper level and pulling those into your heart and recognizing the fact that he had so much he shared with us that maybe sometimes religion just touches the surface of instead of really taking it in. So let's dive into that because I think that's that's really 
the crux of it, right, is that you have this master's in metaphysics. And also, in our first conversation, I asked you whether you consider yourself a Christian. Yeah. And I... And I said yes. And yeah. I and someone else since <laughs> I then has asked me. I honestly didn't know if you would say yes or no or what the answer would be. So many, someone else just asked me the same question. Yeah. And they said, well, Christians believe that Jesus was the Savior. And I said, well, in my interpretation now of Jesus as the Savior, is he was saving us from ourselves. Did he come and die on the cross because... He was going to absolve us of all our sins? Did he need to be a martyr so that his teachings carried on? But I really believe that that Savior piece of it, because to me, the things that I've learned and understood, that kind of, you know, we were born with free will. Mm -hmm. And if we really take charge of the choices in our life and the responsibilities and things, then we... Um, have to take responsibility and not be a victim to things. So in my mind, I started looking at that and it was kind of like, wow, I feel kind of like a victim that I was born in with a, a scar on my soul that said, you know, there's original sin and it needed to be removed by being baptized. And if people weren't baptized, they never did and they can't go to heaven. These are some of the teachings I had as a child that I questioned and I didn't understand. I believe in saving us from ourselves. And I would still say, I am, a, I am a Christian. I believe in him. I believe in his teachings. I believe he brought so much into this world for us. And he brought for us the model of us being God in human form. Mm -hmm. And he brought for us the abilities to learn how to save ourselves how to take how to take these teachings and this love and actually pull it into us and make ourselves a greater person and in modeling those things i think he really was a savior for humanity because he took us into that deeper place right and and that to me um is huge. I really want to dive into what you just said. That's so powerful. I wrote it down. Um, and before we go there, I just wanted to to also take a moment. We're sort of at this point in the conversation where um, you had told me some time ago that you felt that part of your purpose was to help people sort of reconcile their new spirituality and their Christianity. And I'm wondering, how have you done that for yourself? That was definitely, <laughs> it, that was definitely a part of the journey. Because we, you know, being so engrossed in what I was taught. And if you understand how the mind works, and the brain works, and and that's another piece of the studies that I've done. Um, we create these belief systems in ourselves. And then we're given new information. And there really is a struggle because the new information might feel like truth. It may hit us that way. But we still have these old beliefs that we're dealing with. So part of the journey was, how do I reconcile that? How do I take new information and weave it into the teachings that were there. And 
it took me, it took me a while to settle. And I think one of my, one of my profound moments as I learned about metaphysics, which is really about beyond the physical. Right. And it's just like, you can't see the air, but you know, it's there. You can see the effects of the air, like when the wind blows, you can feel it, you can see it move things and stuff like that. Well, a lot of these things that we can't see, a lot of these energies we can't see are there, they are present. We can't necessarily see them, but we might feel them or we might see as they move through our lives, we may see an impact from that. So I had to take those kind of teachings and say, wait a minute. The first thing I got really solid with was that Jesus knew this stuff. He really did. And an aha I had in church one day, because I still had gone to church, and I pop in here and there now, but there was a deacon giving a sermon, and his talk was about metaphysics and about how metaphysics was from Satan. Oh, that's not where I expected you to go. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, I mean, it was very shocking mm -hmm. that it was of the devil, that it wasn't of Jesus and everything. And I'm sitting there with this belief that Jesus was one of the greatest metaphysicians ever mm -hmm. because he could tap into these unseen energies and these unseen abilities and, and things that, um, and these powers from of God that he told us we can do this. And so I sat there and I was like, wow, that's really a thought. You know, it's really something to look at. So I, I had to take bits and pieces of what I was taught and say, do I really feel this? And it's really about getting inside and feeling it as truth. Mm. Or do I feel that maybe this may have been um, a teaching brought down through you know, the, the centuries and maybe work to fit cultures. I think a lot of religions are losing people because they're not fitting in to all these questions that people have. Right. Well, they were designed for a different purpose. Yeah, I believe I mean, that. They were designed. Uh, this is a judgment. I'm fully aware, but often I've heard it said, and I share this view to a point that they're designed for control. Uh, at least yeah. the way Christianity has been structured. Some are. And even some, when you go ways, yeah. and when you go back to the um even the crucifixion of Jesus, when you go back to that piece, the Romans weren't the ones that wanted him crucified. It was the Jewish priests that did because they couldn't control him. They couldn't. Mm. He was like a rebel and he was bringing through these ideas and he had people that were following him and he was kind of messing up their order. And so they they needed to gain control again. And the Jewish priests yeah, did. They needed to because the people were following him. What he said resonated. What he said really made sense but it didn't really fit in with everything that was being taught at the time. Mm -hmm. And he knew so much and people knew he could heal and people saw he could do these things. So I believe that people come in with a purpose and I believe he came in and he knew what his purpose was from the day he was born. So 
you know, for me, reconciling this, and it's still, it's still a big work in process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see the works of Buddha, the, the teachings of Buddha, how they dovetail in. I can see the teachings of the Native Americans or the indigenous people and how they dovetail in. So now we're such a global, we're such a global society. Humanity is connected on all levels now. And the, to me, the way that we find peace is to find understanding and those threads between the different teachings, the truths that resonate, even though maybe a prophet over here said it one way, maybe another teacher here said it another way for the particular culture they were in. Um, but the basic teachings of all of them are very, very similar. Right. And love is the basis, I think, of most. Right. So let's go. I have this fundamental question about how to bring. So let me back up a step. We are raising our kids without religion. And maybe a lot of our listeners are encountering the same situation that I'm in. And so I'm looking for kind of a way forward here. Basically, we celebrate the Christian holidays. Mm Mm-hmm. Because culturally, that's our heritage. We also celebrate the Jewish holidays because, of course, culturally, culturally, we also have have that um, through my husband John, your son, mm-hmm. uh, through Larry, my father in law, and so we have these cultural celebrations. And yet, in the way that we have been celebrating Christmas and in the and Easter, it's devoid of religion and it's devoid of spirituality. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes this kind of very consumer. I swear if you ask my kids what Christmas is about, they would say Santa. And it just now shows up in our family um as this sort of consumeristic present fest. And I would love to I- infuse it with um more of a grounding in the spiritual side of it without having to be religious about it. And, and so maybe, you know, maybe there's other listeners out there who are craving the same thing. And I'm just curious, where would you begin with that? I, I feel like um, one of the best ways to begin is to tell the stories of how it was created and be honest about um the new traditions that have come in because a lot of the current more commercialized pieces of it really didn't come forward until we started to have TV and they started making holiday movies, which when you go back and you watch some of these holiday movies that were made a long time ago, they were very, a lot of them had aha moments in them and really touched your heart and uh, talked about the miracle, but maybe the miracle was in a different way. Maybe Mm -hmm. it showed up in a different way. But it became more and more commercialized the more people saw that they could actually sell something to give for gifts. Because a long time ago, gift giving was a tradition, but people made things and they brought things, you know, and it was way, I think it was way more down to earth. And, you know, now I get, I absolutely feel sick when they start advertising, you know, Christmas at the beginning of October. We haven't had Halloween or Thanksgiving. We've just lost that deeper meaning. So to go back and to tell the stories and have the conversations about what was there, you don't need to have religion to do that. 
you can say this holiday came from here and there was um there was a an honoring of what went on and why it was brought forward there was an importance to why it, it happened and why it came forward and maybe painting the picture for them about what it was like um Hanukkah is one that's becoming more commercialized in in relation to you know Christmas, and you know Hanukkah is the celebration of the battle where there was a miracle because there was only enough oil for one day and it lasted for eight, and so here's another miracle that's come forward, and the miracle of Jesus' birth, um, being born to a virgin. Um, having a, 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 an incredible impact on our world was something that we need to understand that, that this other part's all fun, you know, mm-hmm. it's good. I think we talked about before that a lot of the holidays this time of year, whether it's the solstice, um, the Yule traditions in um, some of the, uh, some people would call them pagan, pagan Wiccan um, faiths, uh, and belief systems. Some of the the solstices are all earth based, and then we've got Kwanzaa. They like candles with Kwanzaa, which is um, the African American traditions about this time. It lasts for about a week long too. All of these fall, and the center around it is bringing light to the world, or has to do with light in the world, and coming from a place of darkness. Mm-hmm. and having light. And that's really what Jesus was about, was bringing that light and the light and the love back into the world. So we have it with each of these celebrations. And when you look at the solstice, the solstice ceremonies that indigenous people do or the people who their cultures or traditions, the things they believe are more earth, earth-based and connected with the mother, um, the solstice is the day, the shortest day of the year, so the right. least amount of light. So they celebrate it because the light is coming back again. And that was important. That was that was a miracle in itself that right. the days would get shorter and shorter and shorter, and then all of a sudden the days are getting longer and longer and longer. So there's a natural rhythm that goes on with this as well. And – but – all these holidays, there's no mistake that we start our New Year's resolutions around this time that the New Year falls here. Um, solstice is part of the solar cycle where um, we have the shortest days, we have the least amount of light. It, there's a natural drawing in, like hibernation. We naturally kind of draw in. Every month we have lunar cycles where we have the full moon, the energy's big, then it goes down to the new moon where it's very small. Well, this time where there's the least amount of light is the best time to birth something new, to bring something forward, because then you're working with the natural energies that are present for us to grow the energy over time and to expand. So having New Year's resolutions, it's a great time to start something new. Mm-hmm. Even if it's an exercise program or an eating program or something, they all fall in this natural rhythm. And whether we pay attention to that in ourselves or not, um, it's there, it's inherent in what we do. Right. 
I love the connectedness of the waning of the light and then these celebrations of light as it starts to come back that connects really the pagan with that sort of predates these faiths Mm -hmm. together with Christianity and and you mentioned Hanukkah as well and and Kwanzaa. There's that thread of miracles and light. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's Oh, that's the spirituality that falls with every one of these. It's like there's a miracle there. There's a there's a story there for us to grab onto, and we can feel it in our heart, and we can share and love and grow things. So now I'm sort of trying on this idea of like, all right, we're going to sit down and talk about the story mm-hmm. of Jesus. Yeah. Um, what would I say? <laughs> and also, I should admit that because I wasn't raised in that faith, it is a stretch for me to believe in the miracle of immaculate conception. Yeah. So what thoughts do you have on what, what I could say to your grandchildren <laughs> or what listeners could, what, you know, how might we start to have this conversation to bring more of the spiritual context into the holiday? You know, there was so much faith in, in that. There was so much belief. I mean, there's the stories of the angels coming and the angels telling them and the trust that they had in the angels. And we all have intuitive instincts and hits and um we get messages all the time it's part of who we are it's that sixth sense that we have and that piece of it was woven into the story of the angels the angels came and said the angels the angels came the angels came and told uh, mary's mother anna even though she was barren and she wasn't um and she was getting older and they didn't believe they were going to have a child, the angels came and, and told her husband and that she would conceive and that they would. That Mary would. That, or that, that Anna would. Anna would. Okay. And that it would be a daughter, and they were to name it Mary, the baby Mary, and that Mary was going to be special, and that Mary, they needed to bring her up. In, she was from the house of David, and so they needed to bring her up in the temple. They needed to teach her. They needed to keep her um, holy because she had a great purpose. And they believed and they followed. And then here's Mary betrothed to Joseph, and an angel comes and tells her that she's going to become pregnant. And that this is an angel of God coming forward. And she believes. Can you imagine being Joseph coming home and finding <laughs> finding your betrothed six, about six months pregnant and what you would want to do, you know, and he's, and an angel comes to him and says, you know, there's a purpose in this. You're bringing forward this child. And, um, you've been chosen to do this. And so there was a faith and a belief in that. And I am of the belief because I truly believe in angels and I truly believe that people get messages all the time and that they're guided, that there was something that was happening and that they they knew they were going to have a special child and one that could, you know, could have a huge impact on the world. And do you know... 
I mean, that that was blind faith going, but can you imagine having an angel come to you and tell you something like that? And then you find yourself pregnant. And But her strength and belief was strong because of the way her parents brought her through and and prepared her. So is our challenge similar nowadays? I think so. But the times are different. And I think there's a place for religion for a lot of people. And there's a lot of people, some people going back to the church. And there's a lot of people moving away because the deep teachings aren't there. I know in Judaism, they teach levels of understanding to the Kabbalah, which is a much more mystical teaching that's there. Mm -hmm. But the common everyday person wasn't allowed, and especially not female. Men weren't allowed originally to learn about Kabbalah until they were like 40 because they didn't have enough life experience to draw upon. Women were not thought to know enough or be intellectual enough to be able to step in. But now that the richness of the teachings of Kabbalah are coming forward, you can see um, the impacts that, that that has. I think if we get into the more esoteric teachings of the Bibles and Christianity and the books and the new ones that have come forward and the teachings there, there's a richness and a deeper understanding of what Jesus was saying, what mm-hmm. he was bringing forward. Those are the kind of things we can bring to our kids that, that you know, we had teachers that taught us not just mathematics and science and history and things, but we had teachers that taught us how to go inside. Mm-hmm. And that's Buddha. You see the children in the East that, that are learning how to meditate from the time they're really, really small. They're learning how to sit and go inside and draw these out. And they're very peaceful. So there's a piece of us that went outward. Jesus went and meditated. Jesus would go out and meditate. It's right in the Bible. He would go and he would go out for 40 days. Oh, really? Yeah. He went into the garden to meditate and pray the night that they came to take him for the crucifixion. It's like, why were we not taught that? Yeah. Why were leaders of the church taught how to meditate and pray? And to me, I have to put a little context around it because I believe that we connect with God in um, different ways. One is through our dreams when we have amazing things come through. Another one is praying, which more is like speaking to, but not necessarily listening. Mm -hmm. And the other one is meditation which is sitting and listening right. for the answers. That's the way I look at it. And so to bring meditation into your life and to bring it into your kid's life and teach them how to breathe and teach them how to be um, at peace in themselves and to love themselves, right. to bring things forward, um, the gifts that they brought. So I was just reading a quote yesterday when I was preparing for an interview. I don't know if I have it right here. Um, I think it's attributed to Wayne Dyer, and it says exactly what you just said, which is that, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, prayer is asking God and 
meditation is listening to God. Yeah. Uh, and so you had just mentioned that this idea of meditation was sort of left out of the teachings in the context of the church. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Because they didn't want people thinking for themselves. Like you had said before, the control thing. A lot of the history as as different ideas and concepts moved, you know, through the spread across Europe and other parts of the world, they sometimes adapted the cultures of the people who were there so that they could bring them into the fold and they brought them in and that tweaked a little bit what was happening. But a lot had to do with the 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 control because there was a huge I don't know what word to use, a dark history. There was a a huge history of the church where, you know, it was the major, it it was the wealthiest. Mm. It had huge power. Right. And if you get into one of the fascinations was learning about the Medici family and the power of, of in Florence that they held and the different areas um, as there were all these small little kingdoms all over the place, but the church had power over a lot of the different, a lot of the different places played the peacemaker, but also then you go into the times of the inquisitions where they put people to death because they were saying things that were out of order. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a lot, if you, if you look and read the historical pieces that happened along with this faith and the way things, the way things changed. Um, I mean, it, it It brings up so many questions about what really did happen. I just love ending this first of this two-part interview on that question because, you know, it's been 2,000 years and we will never really know exactly what did happen. And so it's up to each of us, I think, to ask the questions and choose to have faith or in my case you know I I always felt like I could have maybe had faith if my parents just would have taken me to church as a kid but I didn't get it as a kid and so now it's more a matter of using my intuition and tapping into other people with wisdom to understand who Jesus was and the role that he can play in the spiritual conversations in our family and and that's just so personal and and so as just the the nugget of inspiration for this week given that it's Christmas week it's so simple which is just to really consider the spiritual side of Christmas and what Jesus means to you and if there is a conversation to have with your kids to share that just to to do so and to to really kind of slow things down and take a moment to do that. Uh, Our family is going to be doing that together with the first night of Hanukkah in our broader family because we we are a multi-faith family. And um, so I would just encourage you to have those conversations if that feels like the a part of your celebration. And 
whatever you do this week, I'm just wishing you a wonderful, happy winter solstice. The days are going to be getting longer. And uh, so that, that we're turning that corner. It's a time of light, a time that many faiths celebrate the miracle of the light coming back and the time together with our families. So I do so hope that you enjoy it. And we will talk again in a week. Goodbye for now.